0: After 25 years in the fashion industry, I've realized that fashion is not really about the clothes, it's about the people. I'm Laura Van Root and this is What We Wore. After working as a designer for nearly 20 years in the fashion industry, Erin Wrights is creating her own collection. But the beauty she creates through E.M. Wrights is only a small part of her expansive spirit. From brain surgery to finding peace and beauty in her recovery, Aaron's inspirational journey is a testament to the beauty of life. Aaron writes, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. (laughs) I wish you were here here in person, um, but you will be you will be in the next few weeks.
1: Yes. Yes. We're (laughs) so excited to come up and see you.
0: Erin, I always connect you to Charleston, but I know that you're not from there. Tell me where you're from.
1: I am from Rockville, Maryland, the ah. suburb of DC. I grew up there. I went to college there, University of Maryland. And then I sort of moved all over. My mom moved to Montana when I was 17. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that was <laughs> a random departure. And then... After college, I moved to New York and I was there.
0: Wait, I got to uh, rewind yes. for a second. Your Back mom to Montana. Made,
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. To do what? And, and You wanted an
1: explanation.
0: <laughs> yeah, that, is, that was so too quick. <laughs> uh, it was very
1: random. Okay, so my mom was the deputy chief of the U.S. Forest Service. Oh, wow. Yes. And she fell in love with her boss the chief of the forest service
0: Amazing, and
1: they had a secret love affair and then in order to get married they both retired and my stepdad was he has passed away but he was just an incredible scientist he was an elk specialist and he became a professor at the uh university of montana and
0: is that bozeman or missoula
1: that was in Missoula, Okay, and so I went off to college, and he went off to teach school at the same year as so they moved to Montana my freshman year of college.
0: And is she still there?
1: No, she moved to Charleston two years ago. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah and now she's
0: here. Are you an only child?
1: No, I have an older brother who lives here. We were all drawn to Charleston because he moved here almost 20 years ago, and after several visits. It was just the last visit. It really was just a visit. I didn't leave. (laughs) I had nothing with me. I I just decided to stay.
0: Tell me a little bit about growing up. What were you like as a little person? I'm seeing myself
1: currently in my own child. My son is two and he's insane. And (laughs) everyone on my side of the family is like, yeah, you deserve that. Um, (laughs) I was I was hyper, curious, creative, always making things and I don't know, just I would say generally just sort of a, a curious spaz is how I qualify myself.
0: Were you all super outdoors uh, doing forest service things? <laughs> no, you know, that's sort
1: of a, it's a deceiving title that my mom had. She was the deputy chief of administration, so she <laughs> did all the back end. I don't right. know if she has ever camped or uh, spent <laughs> an extended period of time in a forest. No, we. I grew up, like I said, outside of D.C. My entire family worked for the government. So my childhood, a lot of it was spent just in the uh, back halls of government offices. I would sort of leave school, get on the metro. My mom was... I. My parents were divorced and I was raised by my mom and she worked really long hours and I would sort of just go down and hang out in her offices. And, you know, I I came up with a lot of hallway activities and I like to file. That's good. I would file (laughs) papers for her
0: and pretend I was her secretary. And was she always encouraging and um, supportive of your creativity? Absolutely. I think
1: she was interested by it. My mom later in her life is becoming a bit more creative, but she's always just been very uh, sort of pragmatic. But yeah, she was she was always very encouraging. Uh, my favorite book that she bought me growing up, I wish I could remember the name of it and find it for my son, but it was all about creating art out of trash. And so it was all these ideas. of, You know, and this was before we recycled, you know? Yeah, It was all these ideas of... Um, you know, don't throw these things away and, and how to make sculpture out of trash. And so <laughs>
0: I would spend a lot of time doing that. How amazing. And so you went to University of Maryland and what did you study at Maryland? Oddly enough, I studied business, which... Thank God. As you get
1: to know me, is, is, <laughs> is...
0: <laughs> you're You're the one person in fashion that has a business degree. <laughs> Isn't that odd? I studied business because I had
1: no idea what I wanted to do. It's It's honestly, when I look back, it's one of those regrets that I wish... I entered college when I was 17 just because of my birthday. I wish I had put more thought into it. You know, I just, I, I went to school near home and coming from a family where everyone worked for the government, although I had creative pursuits my whole life, I was very into photography all through high school and then started to get into sculpture. I just didn't think that that was an option for a job. So when I was just sort of perusing majors, under the scope of business was marketing and that seemed interesting to me and marketing at the time when you were studying graphics design it was like you're literally cutting out pieces of paper and letters and gluing them to boards and you know it was very hands-on graphic design. So I thought that was interesting and I thought maybe the storytelling of marketing could be something that I would want to do. So. That was my major, and then I started taking so many art classes throughout. I ended up minoring in art with a focus on wood sculpture.
0: Hmm. And, then, and then how did fashion come about? It is
1: a, a very interesting story. Fashion found me. I <laughs> am not your typical clothing designer that had been sketching outfits since <laughs> they were seven. I really didn't have any interest in fashion, I loved magazines and I, I loved looking at magazines, but I was more interested in the graphics and layout of magazines growing up. So, after I graduated from Maryland, a couple of friends of mine decided to move to New York and they just called me one afternoon and said, We're moving to New York. Do you want to be our roommate? And I thought about it for about two seconds and said, Yes. And we, had a U-Haul and just we found an apartment in the East Village. I did not know that that was cool or anything. (laughs) We just found an apartment. And um, I knew nothing about New York. I hadn't explored it at all. I was just looking for jobs in marketing, not even really knowing what that meant. I was having a really hard time finding a job considering I didn't even really know what job I wanted. My roommate was also having a hard time finding a job. And we were spending a lot of time in a dive bar called No Malice Palace. That was (laughs) In Alphabet City and getting extra dirty martinis for dinner. Like the olives <laughs> were the dinner, right. and then the protein, protein. was the drink. <laughs> anyway, I was lost. I, I had no idea what I was going to do. And I went to the bathroom one evening and I was wearing a tote bag that I had made a few years prior. And this woman approached me in the bathroom and said, Hey, I really like your bag. And I was so complimented and I said, thank you, I made it. And we just started talking, we really hit it off. And it turns out that at the time she was the head designer at Nanette Lepore. Oh wow. And I had heard of Nanette Lepore and I thought that was really cool. And I don't know, we just, we hung out all night and she said, would you like to be my intern? And I said, (laughs) sure. And so I showed up the next morning at 9 a.m. at her studio (laughs) and um, at Nanette's studio. And probably super hungover. I'll <laughs> never forget it. Her name was Katrina and she brought me into the office. We went straight into Nanette's office and she said, Hey, Nanette, this is our new intern, Aaron. What's your last name? And, uh, <laughs> and that was it. I, my first job, it was so embarrassing. She sent me to the trim closet to get grow grain and I had no idea what grow grain was. And this was before smartphones or anything. Yeah, exactly. And and it's spelled gross grain. And so I was in this closet like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. What do I do? I'm the intern. What is grow grain? And I I don't even remember how I got out of that, but it was just, it was one embarrassing moment after another for about a year I interned for them. And then um, I went back to school at FIT and studied clothing design so I could actually get into the business because I just loved it day one I was like this is it this is sculpture and art and teamwork and it's just the most amazing industry i had ever seen and and that was it
0: and then tell me a little bit about FIT and outside of the technical skills what how did it help you grow and prepare for a career in fashion
1: oh FIT was incredible it introduced me to draping first of all which i didn't even know that that existed so for those who aren't familiar with draping it's basically three-dimensional pattern making using the fabric on a dress form and and sculpting the fabric so that's where it really tied in you know it was i had spent several years working through making forms out of wood and various materials so to use fabric as a medium was really really interesting So it gave me the time to experiment with that. And then it introduced me to history of fashion. They have an incredible library. So we would have times where we would go and put on our white gloves and look through these vintage garments and learn about construction and sort of, you know, the why and the how these clothes were made and I mean it just turned me on to so many things. It, it it was really incredible. They have an incredible staff there and just so much time to sit and work, which was really fun.
0: And that was 2 years and did you work at the same time or you, or that was a full-time gig? I did
1: work at the same time. So I was a sales girl at Henry Bendels. Mm, that's awesome. It was really fun and mm. it was it was a cool time to be there. They were still doing the days where designers would line up and the buyers mm-hmm. would sit and look at their designs and so I got to not only watch that but also participate in it. I was there when Zach Posen debuted his first collection. Oh, so wow. I was a
0: sales girl trying to sell that. Yeah, it was really <laughs> it was really cool. And also to to realize that somebody used to live in that house. <laughs> you know, Bendel's was someone's house. Oh my God. <laughs> That's crazy. But t- sorry, back to Zach Posen. And t- <laughs>
1: No, but it's true. I mean, it was just, at the time, it felt really glamorous, but also you could feel the history of the glamour of that location, of that business, and all the people who had walked through those doors. And so it was sort of a combination of working at Bendel's, interning with Nanette
0: Lepore, and going to school. What was your first job out of school? Well,
1: it's kind of funny. I actually didn't even finish the two-year program. After the first year, I don't know if they still do it, but FIT and Parsons used to have this competition fashion show. You'd you'd apply in your individual schools. And so I was I was accepted as one of the FIT designers, and then you battle against each other in this, it was called fusion fashion show. It was so much fun. I think it was <laughs> 10 designers on each school. And you had to put together, I think it was five full looks, and you have to hire your own models. And it's just, you know, you have to kind of just get it all together yourself, and and you show on the runway. And I won, I can't remember what the prize was. I think it was maybe designer's choice or something like that. And whoever won that prize won an internship at Anne Klein. Wow. Yeah, it was amazing. And Anne Klein was, at the time, right on Bryant Park, and that's when... The runway shows were still happening on Bryant Park and they were doing runway shows. So I got to participate in in that side of fashion in the very beginning. So when I won that internship, it actually turned into a full time internship quickly. And then I was hired on as a design assistant and I just didn't go back to school because I was learning so much more yeah. about actual clothing design there than I was at FIT. So I, I sort of just bailed FIT.
0: Do you remember what you designed those five pieces? Do you remember what they were? Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Do I have to tell you? I mean, tell me, about, tell me your favorite one.
1: <laughs> God, I'm going to blank on her name. Maybe you can come up with it. The Japanese artist who's everywhere now, she's famous for her pumpkins with the dots and she has all the rooms with
0: Yes. Is it yes. Cut, cut soya or? Uh, yeah. Cut something. something
1: yes, yes, with <laughs> a Um So one of our pumpkins was my inspiration. So <laughs> you can you know from that that it was not the most flattering group of silhouettes. I had these this vintage sort of dot abstract fabric, and I was quilting channels of sort of these textured segments and making architectural shapes out of this this dot fabric inspired by her pumpkins.
0: So then Anne Klein, you, went, you were at Anne Klein and then did you move around just within the industry for several years or I mean anything stand out or anything really significant in that time period?
1: I would say the most significant thing that happened was I became very close with my boss, the creative director there at the time and he after, I don't know if it was a year or two after I started there, he moved on to go become the creative director of Ann Taylor. And so I sort of had this moment where I had to choose, was I going to stay in the sort of more independent and kind of um, go back into the Nanette Lepore world or was I gonna go into more of the corporate clothing design world? And I chose the corporate and, you know, a lot of that was a financial decision. And for many, many years, I, I was embarrassed by that decision and sort of regretted it because I kind of felt like I sold out and missed out on a lot of creativity. But it's so funny in the last couple of years, I've actually really come to appreciate that decision and what I've learned because I worked for corporate companies then for Many years after that, and I did kind of bounce around in the corporate clothing world. And man, it is a boot camp to learn how this industry works. I feel really grateful for that experience.
0: And what role provided the most challenge? That's a good question because they
1: were all challenging along the way. But I would say my final role in the corporate world, I was women's design director at Eddie Bauer in Seattle. Oh wow! That was just a whole different ball game. Once I. I wasn't designing anymore and I was managing my team and, you know, just working at that higher level of managing the process and managing the team rather than doing the creative work. I found that to be really challenging and and didn't really love that role, to be honest.
0: And then a- around that time, you also had a life transforming event happen. Will you talk to me about that? I will talk to you about it because <laughs> you're just... <laughs>
1: You sort of you have that gift of of uh, opening people up with your your warm your warm light. <laughs> I had a few events where I was feeling dizzy and very very sensitive to light to the point where sort of any reflection shining into my eyes was making me feel nauseous and I couldn't move. I was losing my balance. And so at that time, I got diagnosed with a benign brain tumor and I don't want to get too graphic, but it, so it wasn't cancer, but it was it was called a cavernoma, which is basically a cluster of abnormally formed blood cells. And it was bleeding and actually sort of just slowly killing this Portion of my brain, right? And as that happened, I just was losing more and more function, and so I got on disability from my job, and I was just couch bound. It was crazy. And this is when you were in Seattle. I was in Seattle. I was 33 years old, and I mean, I was just on the corporate track, Laura. I was like not looking back. I wasn't even thinking of if I enjoyed my job at the time. I was like, I'm a director. I want to be a VP. (laughs) And then, you know, I like had this course. (laughs) Like, I bought my apartment. I was like, I was just like on my high. Like, this is my career. This is what I'm doing. And I'm just going to keep on climbing this ladder. And my life was so intense at the time. It was four trips a year to Asia to oversee production in several countries and then coming back. And as soon as you're reacclimated to this time zone, then you're doing your shopping trips and all this stuff. It was just back and forth. And it was actually fun. And it did have sort of a glamorous aspect to it with all the travel and fun hotels and stuff like that. But it was really intense. And man, the universe just sort of slapped me (laughs) on my ass. Yeah. Like I thought I was just on this course. This is what I'm doing, moving fast. I wasn't paying attention to my health. I wasn't paying attention to my stress levels. I wasn't even paying attention to if I was to my soul, to if, if I was fulfilling myself. I was just on it. And then I got slapped down. And how did it feel when you were diagnosed? In the moment I got diagnosed, it was one of those times, actually. It's funny because I don't really talk about this much because people don't really ask that. But where time really slowed down, and I can remember exactly what happened when they told me they turned on a computer screen and showed me. The film of my brain that quite obviously had this big spot in it. He told me I had the tumor and I just paused. My mom was sitting next to me and I said to myself, Am I going to be strong or am I going to break? And <laughs> in that moment, I was just like, Got to be strong. <laughs> and then we just marched forward. Yeah. You do? Did you have a, a similar? Yeah, I think
0: so. I mean, I think it's that same thing. Like, how am I going to hand How am I going to tackle this? Like, which way? Am, which way is it going to go? Because I think it, it can, right? it can go two exactly. ways. Exactly. Exactly. And then, yeah, I don't know. It's so. It's so weird. And and it's interesting your recall of it because I think for me, I already have such complete amnesia of the last year. I don't. There's so many things I don't remember, and I only remember like pain and things like that. I only remember because I know that I said them you know, but I don't remember it physically. You know what I mean? I remember telling somebody that, t- telling yeah. people that it was the most painful thing, but I don't know it in my body at all. Oh my God, that's fascinating. Your body just protects yourself. Yeah. And and tell me about the recovery from that, Erin, and what that was like. Let's see, from diagnosis
1: until I had surgery, that was probably, I don't know if it was six months or a year. I can't remember. Several, several neurologists Um, I think at the end of the day, I saw maybe 15 different doctors to sort of get to my path of of healing. And I ended up going to the Mayo Clinic. And that's where I found the most incredible team. And my surgeon, it was an eight-hour surgery resecting the tumor. And I'll never forget because he woke me up on the table and like I said, I was very sensitive to light. That was one of my um, biggest symptoms. He woke me up on a table in an operating room, <laughs> where you know it's the most offensive light <laughs> that you could possibly imagine, and it it didn't hurt. Wow! Literally, the moment he woke me up. But the recovery itself, you know, the first 24 hours, I actually can physically remember the hell that that was. It was it was the most uncomfortable time of my life. But I will say then. The following week and two weeks and two months and three months were just I think I went back to work after three months. That time was, and I wonder if you relate to this as well. It was one of the most special times in my life. It was um it was very hard physically. I was very tired and lethargic. I, I don't think I could walk around my block by myself for two months. I think it took to build up the body strength because when your brain is healing your whole all right. your functions are just shut down you know just just so it was a very slow time and it was a very quiet time and what's so interesting is there's a few people who talk about this and there's a few books you can read about this but my tumor was in the left side of my brain and the left side of my brain was very swollen and not functioning properly and so that shut down the logic side huh. and the list side the to do side the calendar <laughs> like anything that had to do with sequence was shut down i couldn't yeah. i couldn't do it and so my right side was like <laughs> it just expanded into this amazing like limitless you know spirituality and seeing beautiful things uh, i just i have these vivid memories of just laying on my couch and there were two trees outside my window, and just watching them sway in the wind, and there were these two branches that every once in a while the tips would touch, <laughs> and I would just sit there and watch the branches. And it was just a very meditative, poetic time in my life, which was very surprising.
0: Yeah, unexpected. And did you expect to go – I mean, were you worried? I asked this selfishly because I, I was really worried about – not wanting to work, or not wanting to work in the same capacity, or want, not wanting to do the same thing anymore. Did you have fear about that? Like, what am I going to do if I'm not this person that I was? Totally. <laughs> yeah. Well, and
1: what's crazy is I never returned back to that person. I mean, <laughs> I went back to work. I was terrible at my job. I I just I was in charge of the calendar, and it took me <laughs> at least six months to even really get like two weeks from now versus two months from now, like my sequencing took a while. I had an amazing team who covered for me. I would sit in calendar meetings and sort of talk through it. And then my team would be like, that made no sense. You know, like, so I, A, wasn't that good at it for a while and B, I just was over it, you know? And so I just, I just did my job. I think, it. I don't know how long it was, but it was a year almost to the day after my surgery that I quit that job and just decided I needed a break and I needed to regroup and I needed to heal. The healing process took me a really long time. I mean, I was, I was tired for years. I would say it took me about five years to get my energy back and to not have the headaches and just some uh, various things. So I quit. I was afraid. And then I was like, not only am I afraid, I don't want it. Yeah. And I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm
0: getting out. And so I left. And is that where you met Brooks and moved to Charleston or how did (laughs)
1: Yeah, I did. I did. I I moved to Charleston to visit my, well, I was visiting my brother and I put all my stuff in storage. I was driving around the country from the West Coast to the East Coast with my cat (laughs) and One suitcase, an elderly cat in a suitcase. After about a month of driving, I made it to Charleston and I was staying with my brother. It was just really relaxing. I mean, I was like, there are palm trees here. I just, (laughs) I had a interview lined up with a friend of mine back in New York and it was another corporate position. So I was sort of, you know, had this plan like, okay, you know, I need to make a living. I have this interview lined up, but I just... I couldn't leave. I saw I saw some self-care happening in Charleston that I, I didn't think I could achieve in New York. And so I decided to stay. And at that point, I decided I wanted to get out of the clothing industry. And I started focusing on starting a small business that I had for five or six years here in Charleston, opened a little homeware store. Several months into me settling to Charleston, I met Brooks. Mm-hmm.
0: And then- the rest is history right yeah (laughs) yeah and and then and then dabbled again not dabbled but you did get back into um to ready to wear I guess working with or it's not even ready to wear but working with Natalie Channon at Project Alabama and did you you didn't move there you commuted
1: to Alabama that was because of Brooks he invited me out to dinner one night with his friend Natalie (laughs) on the way there he mentioned that it was Natalie Channon and I (laughs) I just I lost it because (laughs) I did a project on her when I was at FIT. (laughs) So yeah, I met Natalie at that dinner. She invited me to her factory so that I could sort of learn her processes and apply them to my homewares business and like just how she's shipping and stuff like that. Oh interesting. And she was doing a fitting and I love fitting. I mean that's like one of my favorite things to do. And I was like, do you mind? I just sort of look at this jacket and I, um, I just started fitting her jacket and I just, I've been designing with her ever since and I'll design with her forever. I mean, we, we now only work remotely. I was traveling there every other month for four years or five years and now we do it over Zoom and she's just a creative soul sister. We connect and expand each other. She's wonderful. She's
0: such a good person. And so tell me about this next chapter, starting your own collection, launching your own collection, EM right. So you talked to me about that. How did that come about? It's
1: been amazing.
0: Um, you know, coming
1: out of this recovery and back to your question of are you afraid? I think the deal I made with myself at the time, and I wonder if you have had a similar experience, I'm just not gonna do it unless I really want to do it, you know, like, unless it means something to me, anything. And that's like, who am I going to hang out with? Where am I going to go? What am I doing professionally? It has to mean something. Working with Natalie at Alabama has really reignited my love for clothes, seeing a whole new way to produce rather than the way production was happening in all these large companies I was working for. And... I just started draping again. i i It was honestly during Covid, I had some time, and I got a dress form, and I hadn't draped in years because, like I said, I'd been in management then for a long time, and I was just really disconnected from the design process. And so I actually i'm I'm a big nerd. i love <laughs> I love learning. And I um, started taking online courses through uh, Central St. Martin's. They have an amazing continuing ed program. So I was getting up at like five in the morning and taking draping and pattern making online and teaching myself these skills again that I had learned at
0: FIT 20 years ago. And it just came back. Had you lost it from the surgery or or had you just stopped doing it for so long that you kind of forgot? Just
1: I had stopped doing it. Yeah. You know, it wasn't a requirement, nor was it encouraged right. in the companies that I was working for. Well, you know, once I got back into it, I realized I hadn't really forgotten. I just hadn't done it in a long time.
0: But it's such a specific part of your brain, I think, L- literally, right? Draping and, and pattern making. I mean, yes. And it probably is that left side. Yes. <laughs>
1: I love to drape and I hate to pattern make. Oh wow!
0: So which I think, I think is exactly that Let's left, is, right, right.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I, I still love to live in my right, and now I have an excuse to not be in my left. Um, but I mean, I, I, I do have to be in my left sometimes. And starting a business, certainly, you know, as I'm sitting here setting up my SKUs and QuickBooks <laughs> and all that, it's there's a lot of left. It's just bliss for me. It's like it's it's my happy place to put on earbuds listen to some music and
0: and make a
1: form you know
0: it's so funny because it really does also sound like a uh, wood sculpture I mean the process of sculpting uh, oh yeah. wood.
1: yeah absolutely it's it's the same thing and it gets me to that same place of you know when you just feel like you are in a flow like you're connected and not happy isn't really the right word. It's like, do you know what I mean? You're just like
0: in it. Yes, I do. (laughs) I do. (laughs) And probably you hadn't felt that in a long time in, in your career in, in fashion, I would think. Yeah.
1: Or in my life even really just because who you don't take that time just to be alone and find something that makes you feel that way. You know, it's, it's almost like for me it's a replacement of church. It's like that's where I go to kind of like connect and feel like I'm just it's like it's very meditative. Mm.
0: Will you talk to me about the clothes and the the new collection? Who's the client and and who do you hope to serve with it? The first client is me
1: <laughs> and I've never designed for myself before. None of the companies that I worked for were um products that I had, you know, really worn myself until working with Natalie. I would make, you know, quite a few things that I loved as well. But this is the first time where I was focusing on what what was I missing in my wardrobe and and what am I wanting to wear? And then that extends to sort of women who I'm in my 40s and and, you know, when I am out there shopping, there's a lot of very sexy stuff or there's also (laughs) a lot of very Really, really feminine stuff that's beautiful for some people, but it just wasn't fitting for me. I I like tailored clothing. I've always been inspired by menswear. I like a very classic wardrobe. I sort of like a uniform dressing approach where I like to be a like a light packer. You know, I like to bring five things on a trip and I can just wear them all at once. (laughs) I, I have sort of very specific requirements for my wardrobe. And I just wasn't really finding them out there. So I started draping for myself. And I would say that the client is a woman in her 40s or 50s or 60s and somebody who wants to feel put together and confident and powerful, but is feminine and sort of accentuating some of the shapes of a woman's body where, you know, I'm very inspired by Japanese clothing. I'm very inspired by Scandinavian, but it's sort of tent, tent-like and abstract, and I, I want to show a little bit more of my figure. So I'm sort of, I'm making this line all from menswear fabrics, currently all men's shirtings, and I'm draping these fabrics into shapes that accentuate a woman's body. So it's somewhat feminine, but in a tailored way.
0: I love it. And I love the collection. That means the world to me. <laughs> um, is, there, is there a goal? I mean, what would success look like for EM Rights?
1: Yes, my goal is to slowly build this company in a foundation of, of these sort of wardrobe pieces that are lasting. I would like these clothes to live in closets for a long time and also to live in the line for a long time. It's not a flash in the pan and it's not trendy. And I'm really hoping to grow this business at a scale that can stay intimate for myself and hopefully a small team, but big enough that it can sustain and and really grow over the next 15 to 20 years. I mean, I'm always joking with Brooks that I plan for my career to peak when I'm in my 60s, because <laughs> I feel like I'm still learning. I'm still, you know, here I have 20 years experience of designing clothes. And I feel like this is the perfect time for me to start a very small clothing company because I'm I there's so much to learn and there's so much to experience. And I'm just I'm hoping to grow it at a small rate so I can sustain it and be proud of it and work on it for the next 20 years.
0: Here, here we have a new favorite question this season inspired by Tim Ferriss who I talked to you about earlier do you have a favorite failure oh interesting so it's not the prom dress question yeah that's still coming don't worry <laughs> I think that's my favorite failure <laughs> Oh, okay great I love it that's, now that's a good combo I love it please tell <laughs> oh it was really bad um and
1: no I will not share a picture with you later it's so funny I we we found a woman in town who would make dresses for you so I designed my own prom dress and this was way before I was interested in clothes I mean I literally dressed like Dave Grohl in high school I was like very into grunge it was not a cute situation in general in high school um no it was a a a black dress it had tiny straps with a sequin black bodice and then a very full black satin skirt to the floor. It was... It's like the most um, unlike you thing ever, it, too. It didn't make any sense. My date didn't make any sense. The whole thing was bad. Any accessories? Remember your shoes or your hair or jewelry? That's the other thing. No, because I was such a tomboy. I never wore makeup. I had no accessories. I don't even think I did my hair. It just wasn't... It,
0: that's it was not, not a great situation. I love that. That's your favorite failure. <laughs> well, Erin, thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time. And um, I can't wait to see you in a couple weeks and can't wait to get this collection in. It's it's so extraordinarily beautiful and it's so you and I can't wait to have it in the store.
1: Oh, Laura, it's been amazing. It's been wonderful to spend time with you. Thank you.
0: What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda.